I'll give a very uh, a brief introduction. Um, so if you download the first slide, the zero chair slide, Uh, this is really just uh, restating uh, what we intend for this panel and the discussion today. So it's getting OOR uh, ontology, uh, open ontology repository development off the ground, identifying uh, synergies and gaps. Uh, page two is just pointing you to the call uh, and uh, the brief uh, agenda items. Slide three is... What we want to do, again, is to move the OR effort from discussion to action. Uh, so we've called upon uh, the panelists and uh, also the participants to be mindful of uh, identifying usable programming code and services that we could use now and uh, as they're emerging in the future. Uh, what we want to do is uh, firm up implementation commitments who can provide what now and in the future, and identify existing software that we can use for uh, OOR modules. Uh, some of the panelists have uh, repositories uh, or are we're working with uh, groups that have repositories, and what we'd like to do is identify programmatic interfaces so that we could use this in a federation approach. If we could federate um, the, some of the existing repositories, that would be a great uh, beginning, uh, such as BioPortal, XMDR, uh, perhaps Semantic Media Wiki, etc. Uh, and then also, we want to ensure that common logic and its tools are included in the OOR realization. Uh, slide four is, these are the guidelines we provided. Uh, for all. Uh, first of all, describe the capabilities and services that your existing repository software has, if you're a panelist or if you're a participant know of others. Uh, and then share design code and resources on an ongoing basis. Uh, we want to make sure that you can expose your programmatic interfaces. And then we invited everyone on the panel to um, uh, take their own perspective on synergies and gaps for the OOR uh, from their point of view. And then also uh, what potential capabilities, um, you know, uh, that no repository provides, which are gaps, uh, yet which would be useful for the OOR. Uh, the final slide is just introducing the panelists, uh, initially, uh, Mike Dean, BBN, uh, will be providing kind of the overview of the architecture uh, for the OR. Uh, Professor Mark Newton, Stanford, uh, is going to be describing the bioportal and uh, what's, uh, what could be useful and available from the bioportal for the OR. Uh, Dr. Lee Ding uh, at RPI. Uh, we'll talk about searching and navigating online ontologies. Uh, Mr. Bruce Bargmeyer of uh, the uh, 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 Lawrence uh, Berkeley Lab uh, will talk about the XMDR interface and contributions, potential contributions. 
Uh, and then finally, uh, uh, Bill Anderson from Ontology Works uh, who will be talking about common logic uh, and uh, give us some ideas possibly for uh, emerging tools and pros prospects for tools. Uh, we're going to try to uh, roughly uh, limit folks to about 10 minutes uh, on the panel. Uh, uh, to ensure that we have time to discuss uh, at the end and ask questions also of the panelists. Uh, so I'd like to get started now and uh, uh, introduce Mike, um, uh, Mike Dean, who's going to be talking about uh, uh, the architecture, overall modular architecture for the OOR. Uh, Mike? Um, thank you, Leo. Uh, if people can uh, bring up the uh, slides, I think it's one dean is what it's called. Um, I'll uh, and I'll try to tell people when I'm advancing from uh, one slide to the next. Um, let's uh, start with uh, slide two. Um, at the uh, uh, end of the ontology summit uh, that was held at NIST, uh, uh, we proposed a roadmap uh, going forward for uh, OOR. This slide uh, uh, kind of summarizes some of the uh, the main points of that. Um, uh, basically, we proposed having at least one public site uh, plus multiple uh, additional public or private instantiations um, of um, uh, uh, open repositories, uh, having an emphasis on federation, um, and also including the ability to incorporate loose ontologies, which have been published independently on the web, uh, and also collaborative editing, editing sites, uh, things, like Keys, uh, things like Canoodle and uh, uh, other software like that. <coughs> Uh, we're proposing that we have um, uh, a modular software architecture that is modeled loosely on uh, uh, the Apache server. Uh, basically, each of the sites can uh, <coughs> select which modules they uh, they want to include as part of their instantiation uh, in terms of different languages, different policies, uh, different uh, uh, IPR um, uh, licenses, um, and things like that. Uh, most of the uh, uh, discussion in this presentation is really going to focus essentially on uh, what this architecture uh, uh, currently looks like. Um, uh, we felt that it was important to uh, uh, support both OWL and common logic uh, in the initial implementation, partly to uh, prove that we can have uh, the diversity that those, uh, those two representations uh, uh, provide, and uh, these are, <coughs> by and large, the the most widely used um, uh, ontology representations uh, within the community that is, that is coming together here. Uh, we propose that basically OOR sort of leverage and cross-reference uh, related efforts uh, uh, while we seek dedicated funding. So uh, a number of related projects you are presenting here, uh, and I think people are also beginning to cite uh, uh, OOR and some of their funding proposals as well. And uh, there's some more detail uh, on this, the, this roadmap here in uh, uh, the slides from the, uh, uh, the team presentation. Uh, moving on to uh, slide three, uh, we've now created a software project um, for OOR on Semweb Central, which is a uh, um, GForge um, installation um, uh, devoted to semantic web tools. It hosts about 130 projects at this point with about uh, 900 uh, people with commit access rights across those projects. Uh, this uh, basically provides a centralized uh, uh, CVS repository, some uh, bug tracking and uh, uh, software download and other general software capabilities. So you can think of it essentially as a uh, um, um, 
version of SourceForge, you know, focused uh, specifically on semantic web-related tools. Uh, the URL is the uh, second item on the uh, left-hand side there. Uh, if you go to that page, um, you can, uh, uh, if you're not already a, a user of SEMWeb Central, you can register in a for account by clicking on the new account button in the upper right-hand corner. Uh, send mail to me, and I'll add you to the uh, uh, to the software project. And uh, most of the content is currently in the uh, uh, CDS repository there. <coughs> uh, moving on to uh, slide four, um, we have um, uh, an initial implementation, essentially, of this uh, architecture uh, as a set of Java interfaces and uh, uh, sub-implementations to kind of get the, uh, the major ideas and uh, uh, architecture across. Um, there was a set of uh, Java docs that was generated from these uh, um, uh, interfaces and class files that I presented at one of our telecoms uh, uh, a couple months ago um, in terms of a brief uh, walkthrough uh, that's still available on the um, uh, on the wiki here. Um, unfortunately, the software hasn't evolved yet much past this point. Um, uh, I'm hoping to um, uh, uh, do some continued development on it and, and uh, would welcome other people as well. Uh, we, we did get some very helpful feedback, and, and I thank them from uh, uh, Ravi Sharma and uh, Carlos uh, Rueda. So uh, um, uh, people are uh, beginning to look at this and, uh, and contributing, which is, is wonderful. Uh, moving on to uh, slide five, um, on the right-hand side, uh, we have the, uh, uh, an Eclipse view of the interface hierarchy for modules. Uh, which basically provides interfaces for the major types of functionality and options uh, that uh, instantiations uh, uh, can choose from. Um, the, uh, each of the modules um, uh, could have its own configuration options. In some cases, it may make sense to have uh, pick multiple items either of the same type or of, of different types from uh, uh, underneath uh, that implement a given, uh, a given interface. <coughs> One of the... Um, Beauties of this approach is that uh, uh, developers can really vote for, with their code. Uh, if um, they feel a feature is important, uh, they can implement it in the module, uh, contribute it to the system, and then uh, uh, people who also feel like that feature is important and something that they want to uh, um, uh, support in their instantiation can uh, incorporate that module and, uh, and actually use it. Um, sort of looking at the module hierarchy on the right-hand side, um, uh, Eclipse orders these interfaces uh, uh, alphabetically, which isn't necessarily the most uh, uh, productive way. I'm going to jump around a little bit as I, as I talk about them. Uh, so uh, near the middle, you'll see uh, an interface basically for the ontology language, uh, which would actually bundle uh, support for parsers and uh, uh, validators and other technology that is, uh, is language-specific. Uh, you, we mentioned that OWL and Common Logic were uh, two of our key initial uh, uh, targets, basically, for OOR. Uh, there's certainly uh, tool support, uh, good tool support for both of those. Uh, I meant to expand the uh, interfaces here. In the case of OWL, uh, I think we were initially focused primarily on RDFXML, although the OWL2 uh, XML syntax you know, could also be supported. And for Common Logic, it would probably be Cliff as the... Uh, uh, primary representation. So those are basically subclass implementations for those uh, for those languages. There, um, we've um, <coughs> uh, really since the beginning of the OR program, we've um, 
tended to distinguish registry functions from repository functions. Um, registry functions here are primarily focused on uh, metadata about ontologies um, and um, uh, being able to basically search on metadata, including the names of uh, classes and, uh, uh, and properties and things that are actually defined in the ontology. Um, so a registry might incorporate uh, a lot of references coming from federated sources or other sources as well. Uh, the repository function maintains, refers to actually maintaining the repository, the uh, <coughs> ontology um, locally, <coughs> including features like version uh, uh, version management and uh, uh, good, uh, really stable persistence mechanisms. So um, the um, uh, implementations here are just to kind of give you an idea of the type of things that might be used to, to implement these. Um, uh, Lucene is the general purpose open source text uh, search engine, which uh, you know could provide a lot of good uh, uh, string matching capabilities against names and so forth. Uh, um, and you would often expect the repository might use a relational database uh, as a store on the uh, <coughs> on the back end. Um, let's see uh, some of the uh, uh, other things. Uh, the gatekeeper module, uh, about a third of the way down. Uh, basically is uh, code that can be invoked to um, uh, implement site-specific policies in terms of uh, what types of ontologies can be submitted, uh, uh, things like syntactic constraints um, uh, and other policies. And uh, uh, there's you know, some, a notion here of basically sort of a curated um, uh, policy gatekeeper that basically has uh, a human in the loop, essentially, uh, um, uh, assessing the, uh, the quality of ontology. You can certainly imagine other types of gatekeepers or, or uh, some repositories where uh, you might not uh, uh, feel like a, a gatekeeper technology which uh, um, a module was, was required. Um, the mapping module basically is um, an interface for uh, ontology alignment tools. Um, there, uh, NVI has provided uh, an API that's used in the uh, ontology um, alignment evaluation initiative that uh, is a common way of giving access to a lot of tools, so that would be a nice way of supporting that. Um, I'll talk on the next slide a little bit more about uh, uh, the metadata, but uh, to the extent that we can really uh, abstract everything into uh, modules that uh, we can then uh, select, I think that's... Uh, that's desirable. This is actually a little bit of an extension from what we talked about um, at the uh, uh, Ontology Summit. And uh, finally, uh, even the uh, uh, interfaces that a human user uses to access the uh, repository uh, could be instantiated as modules. Uh, uh, Servlet interfaces basically for an HTTP-based web interface and uh, possibly even uh, some local Java interfaces uh, for uh, a desktop use of the, uh, of the repository. Okay, <laughs> let's uh, move on to uh, <coughs> slide six. Um, and I wanted to make a couple points about abstraction, and, and uh, I started to talk about this in the last slide. Uh, really, we'd like to try to incorporate as many options um, as possible as modules to maximize flexibility. So it's our hope that uh, even things like the metadata vocabulary, uh, which we originally thought of as being part of the core, uh, is something that could actually be specified as a module and could be uh, uh, potentially um, uh, replaced or augmented with other options uh, over time. Uh, similarly, um, the life cycle model of an ontology uh, in terms of a list of well-defined states um, and transitions uh, between them, uh, it would be nice to be able to incorporate that as a module so that we could have alternative options if, um, if that became appropriate. 
Um, the module can specify dependencies on other modules, so things like a language-specific gatekeeper or uh, a gatekeeper also that is uh, dependent on a certain uh, lifecycle model that it's controlling uh, uh, transitions between. Um, going on to slide seven, um, there's uh, an event model uh, basically uh, that um, uh, modules can register handlers for uh, specific lifecycle uh, events, uh, uh, typically proposed uh, state transitions. Um, and uh, so, for instance, when a uh, uh, ontology module, when, when a um, uh, ontology is submitted to the repository, uh, uh, basically uh, a number of modules uh, may uh, um, uh, be invoked, uh, you know, gatekeeper functions, uh, syntax checkers, as well as the uh, language-specific parsing models. Um, if it gets past the gatekeepers, then the registry functions and uh, the repository functions are actually uh, invoked to um, um, uh, to actually store and add the ontology into the uh, into the repository. Um, there needs to be some choreography here uh, to make sure that the uh, uh, handlers are invoked in the appropriate order, and um, you know that's uh, likely to be uh, uh, impacted by the um, uh, module dependencies. But there may be some other other uh, factors that come into play there. This uh, really isn't specified yet in the API. It's one of the uh, uh, next things that really needs to uh, uh, needs to be addressed. <coughs> uh, moving on to slide eight. Um, there's a notion in the interfaces of what I picked the name terms, which is basically a generalization of the things that you can search for and uh, maintain in the OOR. So uh, things that a user might look in a repository for are definitions of a person or an event or the father relationship or the owns relationship. Um, so as part of the ontology language interface, uh, each language can define its own term type. So in the case, for instance, uh, the OWL module would define uh, types such as class, property, and individual. Um, common logic might define concepts and predicates, and that uh, is up on common logic as it should be. Uh, SCOS basically would have things like concepts, labels, schemes, and collections. Uh, so basically when uh, the user searches, for instance, on person, uh, he might say that basically we've got uh, um, several OWL ontologies, you know, including FOLF, uh, that basically define a class called person. Uh, we also have an, a couple of SCOS uh, uh, concepts, basically, that, uh, um, that have, that name, uh, have that name as well. Um, moving on to uh, slide nine, um, uh, in terms of next steps, uh, basically uh, some of the goals here are to uh, continue refinement of the interfaces um, and really start on the implementations, uh, uh, particularly seeing how we can uh, encapsulate existing components um, from uh, sources like BioPortal and XMDR uh, to um, uh, populate the structure. Um, also, and actually, let's, let's go back for a moment to five. I uh, uh, forgot to talk about one of the important aspects of the Federation interfaces. Um, which is really intended to basically uh, show how an OOR can interact um, with other repositories. Um, the uh, OOR to OOR um, uh, federation is in many ways the simplest because we actually control both ends of the dialogue uh, and can decide to use whatever protocols uh, uh, make sense there. 
Uh, I expect there will also be um, uh, specific interfaces, uh, uh, bidirectional or unidirectional, uh, to talk to specific existing repositories, uh, certainly things like the DAML repository that provides a legacy data source but isn't, uh, isn't being actively maintained. Um, there may well be some general purpose protocols like um, RSS feeds that are published by many repositories that we could leverage easily uh, to at least uh, uh, identify new content um, and so forth. Um, and uh, a recent addition here, although I think actually a very powerful one, is uh, uh, being able to have interfaces to semantic media wiki and other types of wikis uh, uh, in a general purpose way so we can import uh, uh, content from, uh, from those uh, services. So if we go back to uh, slide nine, I apologize for the diversion there. Um, basically, uh, I, I think one of the distinguishing factors for OOR uh, is uh, uh, the emphasis on federation. And uh, I'd certainly like to see uh, some uh, um, capability in that area uh, develop near term. So one of the things that we ask, in addition to identifying that could be uh, become modules, is also identifying the interfaces that federation modules could use uh, to talk to some of the existing available repositories. So both of these points are some of the main motivations for this panel discussion here. Um, in terms of initial operating capability for OOR, um, uh, one goal is essentially really to have downloadable software that people can instantiate uh, uh, on their own sites, uh, as well as a uh, public instantiation. And um, uh, Peter has uh, 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 volunteered some resources, and we've actually registered a, a long domain name, uh, OpenOntologyRepository.net, as a, a potential sort of uh, central site and uh, you know, demonstration capability for uh, probably all of the OR modules. Um, that's, uh, that's my last slide. Um, any questions at this point? Or, Leo, do we want to defer questions until uh, after the, all the presentation? Yes, uh, let's, uh, well, let's wait till the end for the questions. Okay. Okay, our next speaker uh, will be uh, uh, Mark Muthen. Uh, speaking on BioPortal, Open Ontology Repository for Community-Based Ontology Management and Review. And uh, we'll, we'll take about approximately 12 minutes, uh, Mark. Okay, thanks, Leo. Um, I'm going to be – I'm realizing that the, the chat session keeps on crashing my web browser, so I'm, I'm not going to take questions from you guys. But uh, let me uh, start with slide one, if you, if you have it. Um, and um, I'll be talking a little bit about BioPortal, which uh, folks in this community have heard a fair amount about. Uh, I gave a uh, presentation to the Ontolog Forum back in December, and uh, at our meeting in Gaithersburg, we demoed an alpha version of our new release of BioPortal, and that, that new release actually has been made official uh, since uh, our meeting at NIST, and uh, you guys will hopefully have an opportunity to have a direct interaction with the system. Uh, as well as getting a sense for how the system works by looking at the slides I'll be showing this morning. Our work is, is, is funded through the National Center for Biomedical Ontology, which is a large center supported by the National Institutes of Health Roadmap. Uh, we have about $17 million over five years to create infrastructure to make ontologies useful within biomedicine. And the BioPortal initiative is a large part of what we're doing as part of the NCBO. Uh, the BioPortal is, is, is largely work done at Stanford with help from folks at the Mayo Clinic, 
uh, and also uh, folks at the University of Victoria who are particularly interested in ontology visualization. Uh, BioPortal, because it's funded by NIH, has a biological name, although we're not really happy with that name. Um, we uh, recognize that BioPortal actually has nothing particularly biomedical about it, apart from the fact that uh, because we are supporting biomedical ontologies through this NIH grant, uh, we're particularly attentive to the needs of biomedical ontologies, which includes representation in OWL, in uh, the protege frame language, as well as something called the Open Biomedical Ontologies language, which is unique to some uh, biomedical ontologies, as well as the uh, format used to distribute ontologies within the National Library of Medicine's Unified Medical Language System. Uh, we do not support common logic, and as you'll see, there are assumptions that are in BioPortal that assume that we're dealing uh, with a class hierarchy as, as, as a mechanism for, for navigation of ontologies within BioPortal. And uh, support of common logic would be ex exciting for us, but obviously not within our charter, since I don't know of any biomedical ontologies right now that are represented in common logic. Um, when we go to slide two, which shows you the welcome screen for BioPortal 2.0. And not only is this the welcome screen for BioPortal 2.0, but it also includes some of the salient new features that are in the new version of our system over the version that we had previously uh, supported. Um, and as you can see from the list of bullets, uh, we have ontology navigation as before through a tree browser, but we also have some very exciting ontology navigation through flash visualization of ontologies. And I'll show you a little bit of what that looks like. That's mainly uh, through our friends at Victoria. Uh, we have web service access to the BioPortal content, um, and we'll be providing uh, full details on that API very soon. Um, we have a capability, which I talked a lot about in my talk back in December, uh, to allow community support of ontology refinement through a system that we uh, whimsically call marginal notes where just as one would actually be able to comment uh, on uh, something in a, uh, on a chapter in a book or, or make a, a wiki-based comment on some web document, the marginal notes capability in BioPortal allow users to make comments on ontology content and, in fact, to have uh, threaded discussions with, with one another as a mechanism for uh, allowing the developers to uh, represent their design rationale if uh, the modeling decisions are controversial or to allow users to indicate where they believe modeling decisions may not be optimal and where uh, changes ought to be made. Uh, as is in the vision that, that Mike talked about, we believe mappings among ontologies is going to be an important uh, component of any kind of repository. Uh, right now, we allow people to upload mappings in bulk, uh, and uh, we have a lot of experience at Stanford using a Natasha Noise prompt tool for creating bulk mappings from one ontology to another. We also allow users at BioPortal to create what we call point-to-point -point mappings, which allow users who are doodling around, if you will, in the ontology browser to indicate where terms in one ontology relate to terms in another as a way of creating uh, linkages among ontologies. Uh, and one of the things that we do right now is, 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 is to take the mappings that are in BioPortal and export them in RDF so that they're available uh, for people who want to process them in a variety of ways. 
We allow people to navigate among multiple ontologies and to be able to compare and contrast the way modeling decisions are made in ontologies. And we have URIs for all the ontology content, which obviously is, is very important for precision access, access to ontologies. Um, and although it's a bullet point here of importance to us, uh, support for OWL was not uh, as, as robust as we would have liked in, in, in the version, the first version of BioPortal, and, and, and by using Protege right now as a, as a as an intermediary storage mechanism, actually our our OWL support is much better than it was in the, in the initial in the initial release. So that's the welcome screen for BioPortal, and if you go to the next slide, you'll see what it's like to actually browse an ontology, the ontologies in the system. You'll notice that some of the ontologies are local, most of the ontologies are local, some of them are uh, are remote, and for those that are remote, we obviously don't have access to the direct content, but we store the meta metadata within BioPortal for the, the kinds of things that Mike talked about in his talk. What you see are the names of the various ontologies, or the format that they're represented in, uh, versioning and author and, 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 and obviously some bookkeeping information. And if you were to click on um, the Explore button, you would actually get a chance to go and and, and, and look at ontologies, or if you want to find something, there's a search capability, and if you go to slide four, you'll see an, ex a, an example where a user here is, has selected the NCI thesaurus as an ontology of interest, and perhaps the most stupid search you could do in the NCI thesaurus is to search for this text string cancer, and when you go to slide five, you'll see one of myriad uh, we see several of myriad uh, references that pop up that show you where in the NCI thesaurus the text string cancer appears. And uh, when we release the next version of BioPortal, in fact, we will have a much more expanded version of, of the search capability, uh, which we think is obviously important to be able to locate not only ontologies of interest, but classes within ontologies that are of interest. If you actually want to go to the, uh, the NCI thesaurus and see what that looks like, slide six shows you uh, the browser within BioPortal. And what you see on the left-hand side of, this, of the screen in slide six is a tree browser, which allows uh, the user to uh, hunt and peck, basically, through the ontology classes and get a sense for the structure and to look up individual uh, look up data on individual ontology classes. On the right-hand side of the screen, you, you see the, the visualization system and there are a variety of views that the Victoria folks have developed for us that allow us to uh, navigate ontologies. And you can't see it in the static PowerPoint slide, but uh, one of the nice things about the Victoria software is that it really has some very nice animation features, which obviously not only looks look slick, but give the user the ability to sort of keep a frame of reference because the animation that the uh, this visualization software offers uh, provides a way of maintaining context and really understanding how uh, one part of the ontology relates to another as one descends down the hierarchy or, or uh, goes back to the root. And indeed, uh, what you see here uh, in slide six is the standard tree view within the visualization system, slide seven, shows you another view, which is uh, the circle layout, which basically spreads out the nodes that are related to the, the node of interest in a way which provides a different way of, of visualizing relationships. And uh, there are a host of, of different presentations which uh, allow the user under different circumstances to get a different sense for how things are related to one another visually in the ontology. Go to slide eight. Uh, I mentioned that mappings are really important in BioPortal, and uh, if you look at the 
uh, tree browser view on the left, you'll notice this little funky icon next to a large number of the uh, classes that are in the tree. That icon indicates that there are mappings associated with a particular class and, and other classes and other ontologies that are in the repository. So, for example, in this, in this slide, we have the FMA, the Foundational Model of Anatomy, which is a large, very widely used uh, ontology of human anatomy created at the University of Washington. We see there's a class that's been selected called Autonomic Ganglion, and the mappings panel on the right shows us that there is a mapping between that particular class and the term ganglion in the mouse adult gross anatomy ontology and a, another uh, class called autonomic ganglion in that ontology as well as a, a term called ganglion in the zebrafish anatomy ontology and bioportal. And so one of the things that we really are emphasizing is the ability to view what the mappings are and also to create them. So if you go to slide nine, you'll see how a user creates a point-to-point -point mapping. Here is the um, uh, adult mouse anatomy ontology. And uh, in the grayed-out uh, tree browser on the left, the user has selected the class immune system. And the panel that's open in the middle of the screen allows the user to link that term, in this case, to a term that's been selected in the NCI thesaurus, and the user is about to... Uh, link immune system in the mouse anatomy ontology to immune system part in the NCI thesaurus. And uh, as soon as uh, the user clicks create, then that mapping will be defined. And uh, this provides a mechanism, as I said, for users browsing the ontologies to be able to indicate their mappings. This is not as obviously as efficient as using a, a tool uh, like uh, Prompt or other ontology mappers that would allow uh, uh, wanted to create a, lot, a large set of mappings offline and then to, to upload them. Here's slide 10. We have a different ontology in view. This is the biomedical resource ontology. Uh, Mark, which, uh, two minutes. Thanks, Leo. Which we've created in, in, uh, with, with, with uh, NIH. And what this shows, if you look at Bro Resource, you see another funky little icon. That icon indicates that there's a marginal note associated with that particular uh, Entity, And if you go to slide 11, you'll see, for example, that a uh, guy named Peter Lister at NIH has added a class called Funding Source, and David States at the University of Michigan has used the marginal notes capability to add a comment saying that he really didn't think Funding Source was an appropriate, appropriate class for this particular ontology. And Peter Lister replies to his comment saying, well, it, it actually, he actually thinks it belongs. And as you can see, this, this provides a basis for users to comment on ontologies in a, in a public way and provide a mechanism for the community to offer feedback and to be able to uh, indicate where they believe uh, uh, ontologies might, might, might require some evolution. Uh, if you go to slide 12, you'll see another view of the NCI thesaurus. And what I wanted to do here is to show that uh, one of the things that we support is use of ontologies to access the basic data that those ontologies may be used to define. This is particularly important in biomedicine. So, for example, you see this malignant skin neoplasm is a selected class. And if you go to the next slide, you'll see that one of the things we offer when you click on the resources tab is a list of all the online biomedical data resources uh, where a malignant skin neoplasm might appear. And if you go to the next slide, you'll see that, for example, if you go to the gene expression omnibus, you can see all of the data resources where malignant skin neoplasm might be relevant. And because we're doing a semantic search where we can take advantage of the ontology structure as well as ontology maps, 
you can see that things like melanoma, which are obviously our, our, our subclasses, malignant skin neoplasm, appear. And we have access to all the biomedical data in the world, basically, where uh, those ontology concepts are relevant. Uh, go to the, the next slide. Uh, I can show you basically what we have in Bioportals today. Basically, 111 biomedical ontologies. 78 of those are local. 33 of those are remote, where we just have the, the, the metadata as local. And basically, about 5 million classes that uh, represent these ontologies. So it's a fairly, fairly large amount of content. Uh, slide 16 shows uh, our architecture in a very abstract way, and I realize I'm running out of time, so I'll just say that we can talk about that more when we get into the discussion framework, but basically uh, the, our architecture is a standard uh, set of tiers. We have a presentation layer, an interface layer, and basically a logic layer. Uh, everything here is open source, and everything here uses uh, an SOA, which I think will allow us to expand uh, and be able to accommodate uh, the kinds of uh, additional uh, resources that uh, that Mike talked about in, in, in his talk. So we go to slide 17 just to reinforce. Uh, Bioportal 2.0 is now live. We were, we're getting a fair amount of, uh, of visits. We have a, f a large amount of content, and uh, I think we're, we're particularly excited not only about the capabilities that the, the system provides, uh, about the way in which I think Bioportal uh, addresses a lot of the requirements that the OR community has been talking about over the past several months, uh, but also provides an open source uh, set of modules and expansion capabilities that uh, I will believe modestly would allow us to, to use much of what's in Bioportal as a framework for the, the vision that the OR community has in mind. So let me, let me stop there, and we, we, can, we can talk more in the discussion period. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Um, our next speaker is uh, Lee Ding uh, from RPI, who's going to talk on uh, search and navigation of online ontologies. Um, Lee? Yes. Uh, should I start? Uh, yes. I have, a, I have a pretty long slide. I, I'm assuming I... Uh, I, just, I will skip a lot of them, but I want to provide some examples for you for the readers to read offline. So I'm not going to cover every slide in this 22-slide presentation to make sure that it's going to just last within 10 minutes. Um, can we move to slide two? Uh, actually, this talk will actually cover two issues. One is uh, uh, showing what the search and the navigation graph we have found in Sugo and we found how useful it would be. As of now, uh, Sugo has been well known as a search engine which provides keyword search to uh, for find ontologies, but there are also some great navigation power behind Sugo which is not necessarily being observed by a lot of the audience of Sugo. And secondly, uh, I would like to report a little bit of experience. We have been uh, exploring using semantic wikis to support collaborative ontology repository, and uh, we found that, that semantic wikis turns out to be a pretty useful uh, tool to facilitate uh, editing ontologies together on the web and uh, probably also provide a great opportunity to uh, support navigation and search and in the future being provide a good module for uh, people to manage ontologies in the open space. Uh, the first issue I would uh, talk would be the next slide, uh, which is the, uh, a, a little bit uh, uh, review on the online ontologies and how it has been benefiting our life. 
uh, as the, as you can see that we are in the uh, we are in the web age and the web actually allow us to access the ontology not just from the file or database we see we now have the web interface to access ontologies and uh, there are uh, one interesting point is like the terms now turns out to be identified by URI rather than just a symbol so you can you can typically in the semantic web or you should be able to or in other mechanism on the web, you should be able to use hyperlink to jump to the definition of the term. And uh, in the future part, which is so uh, we believe Web 3.0, which is semantic web plus those uh, social web together, uh, we are we are currently currently experiencing some really new and and exciting experience. Like uh, now, the Web 3.0 technology allow us to natively preserve the prominence information like the revision history and who added the what version and they're trying to see the difference of different versions. And this prominence information has been added to the ontology management or ontology repository natively and turns out to be pretty useful. And the and also there's an, this, uh, this native support of uh, provenance also allow us to collaboratively maintain one or multiple ontology on the same website without conflicting with one another, or actually it also allows us to converge to another. So one key point you should be able to see is like probably the ontology might be developed by the end users as uh, on their daily use. So if I'm going to create a root upper ontology and the, on the wiki, and then users should be able to extend the upper ontology uh, on daily basis, and if they need some uh, some special species, and they just create the class on the fly, and that will cause the ontology dynamically growing on this kind of wiki, and that require a little bit more interesting investigation on how to support this kind of ontology authoring activity. Uh, as of now, next slide would be. Uh, I'm just trying to show one special case, not common logic, not uh, SCOS, but just semantic web ontologies, uh, and trying to show that as of now, we are not just looking at the files, which is, uh, contains a bunch of that description. We can also uh, treat, uh, look at in the ontology at the class and property level. As Mark uh, has shown in his bioportal, people can do a, little, a lot of navigation at those uh, term level navigation. And uh, in the meantime, should, we should also pay attention that uh, it's not the ontology by itself, but also there are some instances available on the web which is citing or using the ontology. And uh, these are the very nice ex exp experience which is not available before when we are, be it before when we are not using the web technology and, and this is a this is something we should be pay attention to that we are not just navigating the the ontology itself, you know, but we are also looking at the term level navigation. So we should move to the two more slides to slide six. Um, actually, this is the navigation model we have observed in the Sugo and uh, and uh, I mean uh, that before we develop Sugo, this is what we are how people are navigating the semantic. The, the ontology. So we typically start from a term lookup to find a term, or we can start from the ontology and the hyperlink, follow the hyperlink to see how ontologies are using the other ontology. 
And we can also see from ontology, we can also see how the ontology defines a term or a document instantiate a term as a class or as a property. And the terms, inside the term, uh, there are the description allow us to navigate between different terms. And the namespace is specifically useful when we use the, the HTTP protocol to navigate on the web. So this, um, this is like uh, the basic navigation uh, and search graph we are using before we use search engine. And then two more, and uh, we should move two more slides to slide eight. But there are some kind of issues actually driving the need of search engine, and I'm not going to cover everything, but just showing like that there are more, we need more better search interface to locate the concept we need, which is better, nav more navigational paths to move back forwards and backwards. For instance, we want to move from a term to the instances, which is the instantiate, the documents which instantiate the instance of a full person, and this will be very helpful for us to uh, use search engine to assist our navigation. And next slide actually shows a little bit the idea of a home page of a term. So now the, it's actually give us a little bit of flexibility to access ontology at term level, and the, from term we can jump a lot of to an, a lot of other places. Well, Mark has shown a lot of some of the navigation paths. Uh, Google compute a lot of other kind of uh, navigational paths by queries. And something are like in links and out links to the term, and also there are documents linking to this term. In particular, we use instance data to derive uh, the term to, to to derive how terms are associated. We'll mention that a little bit later in in the uh, in the following slide. Um, slide next slide, please. And the next slide I just show that search is a big component which help us to. Access the semantics, access the terms and ontologies uh, at different level, and the key point contributed by Sugo would be building up, uh, extract some semantic metadata for a term and ontology, and provide effective search. As for if you see in Sugo, just type keywords is not typically enough. Sometimes you can add some prefix to make sure that you can have a better search result. The next slide actually shows you that if you are looking for agent probably just use a, a prefix called label, label agents, and the definition of label is listed in the, at the end of the bottom of the uh, slides, and you can have a better and a refined, a, a better def way to locate the term. And the next slide shows a little bit more on the uh, query-based navigational paths, and these are very interesting things that uh, allow us to move back and forth. Initially, we just have one-way navigation, and now we have uh, both-way navigation by query, and this requires a global view provided by search engine, and that's actually justified the need of open uh, ontology repository because then we can have multiple ontologies stating together provide a global view for us to navigate across ontologies. The next slide just shows one use case and uh, shows that uh, how this uh, how this uh, how this uh, navigate query based navigation works and the one important issue is like the global we also give us the statistics to rank and order the results and it show help us to filter the unimportant stuff for the next slide, slide 13, right yeah slide 13 and then the next slide is uh, is just covering a little bit more on how we actually use instance data to bridge to the navigational paths between two terms, 
And uh, you can see SWC3 is actually creating some uh, relation between two terms from Dublin core title to fourth person. You see the red arrow? That's uh, that's very interesting case. We have found, and uh, this is like, a, uh, that's actually will give the ontology designer a little bit experience on uh, refining their ontologies. Uh, right, two minutes, uh, Lee. Yes, and uh, I'm, I'm and the, the next slide just show one example how this works in Sugo, and I mean I really I recommend people, uh, users to use so Sugo in the use its full potential, especially for you follow all the possible navigational paths. Uh, this uh, and the next slides just cover the uh, summarize the the requirements. And as of now, Sugo actually provides what we can take take from the Sugo would be how do we build metadata to support a keyword search, how do we build the query-based navigational paths, and there are also good ranking mechanisms provided by Sugo be useful for building up the Sugo, building up all our as a module, and of course some of the prominence will be useful, and Sugo actually maintains a version catch, maintaining the history of uh, ontologies as of, as of now. Uh, some other implementation details I would just learn let users to audience to read that a little bit. We should switch to the next topic on the semantic wiki. Next slides we'll be just showing like uh, interesting enough we have uh, find this semantic wiki very useful as a collaborative ontology repository. The next slides actually covers a little bit the uh, basics of uh, semantic wiki and I'm not going to cover that. You can read them and it's basically showing that the semantic wiki is very useful in supporting ontology repository from different point of view. The next slide actually shows one example that we can actually, we have already populated a lot of uh, one ontology from, from scratch and it's more like uh, as on the demand of uh, creating instances. And uh, you can see ontology and, uh, no, and the concept has, uh, has their own homepage. You can navigate back and forth and we have forms uh, on the right panel. There's a form that allow you to, to to annotate the ontology. And this is more like online annotation or editing of ontology, and uh, which is not as good as current ontology editor, but it's uh, provide reasonable uh, interface for people to store the description of ontology. And you can also add some personalized annotation, and the history will be kept. The next uh, slide actually shows the revision history stuff. And uh, this is a very nice thing that's natively provided by Wiki. And uh, you, I mean, the, there are two type of ontology. Uh, you can always let people to converge on one concept because there's only one latest version for one concept. And you can also have multiple authors editing the same concept such that the concept may not necessarily belong to any person. If you say the concept is stable, you can protect it. And there are a lot of ways to manage the ontology management, and this is a very useful tool. And the next slides I'm going to skip and go to the last slide. Uh, just uh, for, as of now, we have uh, maintained a website called TW.RPI. It's experimental work and focused on the publishing contents. In the meantime, we've also produced ontologies. Uh, we are planning to get build up a new website to to more experience on collaboratively maintaining ontologies on the semantic wiki. And we believe a lot of Sugo technologies can be inserted into the semantic wiki as modules to support and uh, enhance the experience of search and navigation. 
Okay, thank you very much, uh, Lee. Thank you. Um, save your questions for the discussion or add them to the chat. Uh, our next speaker is uh, Bruce uh, Bargmeier, who's going to be talking about uh, uh, the XMDR contributions. Bruce? Uh, hi, thanks. Um, I was following along, and the uh, uh, thing was died, so I'm back to my uh, uh, presentation. So uh, I have on the line also uh, Kevin Keck uh, and Ani Sen, uh, who are the more technical folks uh, on this project and can you know, go down to whatever technical level we want to. And I think uh, Harold Solbrig is also on the line and is uh, quite... Uh, familiar with the technology underneath this. Uh, so uh, things that we need for the uh, OOR, I think, are use cases, the model, uh, architecture, and software. Uh, the user interface is always important, and, and I'm very impressed by what Mark just showed on the BioPortal. Uh, of course, there's all the other stuff that lies underneath it that isn't so visible. And then we need to deal with content and loading. So these are the things I'm going to try to cover. Uh, so um, in terms of use cases, we added some use cases to the OOR website, and uh, I think these are things that are in uh, uh, progress um, uh, that could be uh, developed a bit farther. Um, we have got um, proposed uh, specifications for a model uh, with definitions and an ontology. Uh, these come from... Uh, proposals that we're making for ISO IEC 11179, which is called Metadata Registries, and uh, the proposals are for Edition 3. Uh, so the XMDR project has been uh, making proposals uh, for what might be included in Edition 3. Uh, XMDR has got a modular software architecture and open source uh, software modules, um, and it has uh, some uh, test uh, content. Going to slide 4. Uh, use cases, uh, we really need to sort out at some point uh, what we want to construct. I suspect that it's going to uh, grow as we go along. Um, so um, the kind of core functionality may be just registering and disseminating ontologies. We've seen that most of the uh, uh, previous uh, presentations have gone beyond that. Uh, one question I have is do we want to go to linking concept systems, uh, that is, ontologies, uh, to metadata that describes data. Uh, this is the particular forte of uh, 11179. Um, and then also, do we want to be able to reason across the content of an OOR? Uh, so that's something that we've been working on in XMDR. Uh, next slide, five. Um, this just uh, shows a little bit about how um, concept systems can be linked to data uh, the blue and green squares are essentially stuff out of 11179 uh, where they have uh, object classes and properties and conceptual domains and data element concepts and value domains and valid values and so on. And the EVS is the Enterprise Vocabulary Services out of um, uh, NCI, which at this point are more thesaurus-based than ontology-based, uh, but I think that we're evolving in the direction of ontologies. So this is a connection that I think is a, a highly valuable one. Uh, There's probably an extension of the things that we've heard uh, in the previous presentations. 
Um, so in terms of a model, what are you actually going to register and how are you going to register it? Um, the 1179 proposals uh, have uh, quite a number of figures, I think uh, 17 or 20. Um, and here is one in slide six that um, uh, covers the ontology region. Uh, and uh, this is the kind of thing we need to register there. I don't particularly in this presentation I want to um, go deep into uh, a description of the pieces. Um, but just another one is that as you're registering something, um, you need to say uh, some ancillary metadata, and uh, there's actually quite a bit of it that might be useful. And so here's a, a part of the model that, that covers uh, that. And as I say, there's, uh, there's a lot more. Uh, to this, which I think would be useful input to the OOR uh, effort. Um, going to the next slide, uh, which is slide eight. Um, uh, once you have a, a UML model, which I'm just showing you there, I, we've been translating that into an ontology for use in our implementation. And so here are some tools that we're using to uh, get from UML to an ontology. So we start out with Poseidon, uh, but it could be, you know, Magic Draw or Rational Rose or, or a number of other things for uh, developing the UML. Uh, we've been using some XSLT scripts. Um, we're translating um, the XMI that comes out of Poseidon um, into the beginning of an ontology and then using Protege to um, uh, to essentially hand edit and, and go through the process of, of making what we think is a, a, a decent ontology. We'd love to do this in a more automated fashion, but um, we're on the relentless uh, quest for better tools to do it, and if people have suggestions for better tools, we're always open to that. And then we've been using uh, Swoop, um, uh, and uh, uh, finally uh, we head for Jenna and Pellet uh, to actually create logic uh, indexes and do uh, uh, reasoning. Uh, so that's kind of the process that we're going through, and I think that as the OOR effort works on uh, the models that we need for the content, uh, we probably need to go through some kind of a process like, uh, like this. Uh, next slide, uh, slide nine. Uh, this is the architecture and open source software, so everything in XMDR is, is available to uh, whoever wants to use it uh, with a non-viral type of uh, uh, license. Um, and so here you see the modules of the architecture, uh, and I think they're familiar with uh, some of the previous uh, uh, presentations. Um, and so you see... Um, bits of functionality that uh, we have and, and the kinds of software we're using to provide that functionality. And you see over here the app application program interface. We're using REST. Uh, and this might be a means for federating, as Leo talked about at the very uh, beginning of, uh, of this session. Uh, so that, that's something, it, you know, it, it may be desirable to try to federate some of these capabilities, and perhaps that's the way to, uh, that's a way to do it. So uh, I guess later in the discussion, if people want to, we can dig more deeply uh, into these modules and so on. 
The next slide, uh, slide 10, uh, talks about content loading. Uh, and we have been using uh, LexGrid uh, as a, a part of this. I, I believe that LexGrid uh, lies somewhere under the covers of the bio portal, too. Uh, Mark can probably uh, speak to that. Uh, I think uh, LexGrid is a very important piece of software that uh, uh, hasn't been talked about much in this group, but I think uh, would probably bear uh, some more discussion. So you can see how we take content from a variety of sources, transform it, validate it, uh, then uh, register it, uh, and uh, finally index it and make it available for uh, uh, user interfaces that may be uh, reasoners or uh, I'd love to see a bioportal type of uh, interface on top of this. Uh, and so. Um, I'm, I'll be fairly brief in my presentation here. Uh, I'm very impressed with what Mark has done with the bio portal. Uh, I would love to, in terms of, rather than the, this is kind of the synergies uh, slide, I, I see a good deal of synergy between uh, XMDR and the bio portal, and I also see LexGrid is playing a part in this, and I'd like to uh, at some point open the floor for a, a bit of discussion about that. And I think... Uh, other than the acknowledgments, that's uh, uh, what I have to say. Okay, thank you, Bruce. <clears throat> um, you actually uh, have a few more minutes. <laughs> yeah, but, I, I, I knew I'd be relatively brief, but I, I knew we were also running behind, so I didn't, uh, uh, I didn't fill in as much as I might. Okay, well, we, we appreciate it, and, then, and we'll engage you in the uh, following discussion then. Um, uh, our, our next speaker um, is uh, Bill Anderson from Ontology Works, uh, who's going to actually be talking about uh, common logic and, uh, and perhaps, uh, at least in the discussion, more on tools and prospects for tools for common logic. Uh, Bill, are you on? Hey, Leo. Can you Hi. hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I guess I'm going to hold my questions. I had a number of questions that came up um, with the other speakers' presentations. And I, I should just say that I find uh, the least controversial among them to be to, to be uh, Mike's and, and, and uh, uh, Mark's, or I mean Mike's and uh, Bruce's presentation. So um, let me just get started here. Um, so what I did is I, I actually misinterpreted my instructions. Uh, you, you, you wanted me to talk about tools, and I ended up not really doing that because my uh, uh, discussion with Chris Menzel um, led me to believe that I should instead try to call out what kind of special role common logic can play in the implementation of this thing, not in terms of uh, uh, storing common logic ontologies, although that's, you know, clearly, uh, since you can write ontologies in, in Common logic concrete dialects. Uh, that's also something that, that deserves some some uh, consideration. So so I have to apologize for that. I'm going to talk more about principles and then I'll talk about tools um, at the end. But you know, to tell the truth, there aren't that many tools for common logic uh, right now. So so let's just uh, get going. So go to slide two, which is really my first slide. Um, there there's a couple of desiderata that I think that have been somewhat missing maybe from some of the presentations and some of the discussion, but I think are really important, and this is one that one, I think is one of the very, very strong points of XMDR is uh, Bruce's project, is that they went into this with this sort of neutral attitude. You know, if you've got a model, uh, it's our obligation to manage it, um, no matter how that 
model is written in whatever language and whatever form it's in. So to me, the two overriding desiderata for the any OR system would have to meet as a minimum bar is that any content can play. So long as there is a formal language or uh, a logical system of some sort that can be formally described uh, to OR in terms of a modular approach, as, as Mike advocated, then that content should be allowed to play. Um, I think the, uh, the mistake is, is made in assuming that the largest number of models out there are authored in RDF or OWL. That's actually false. Uh, there's a far larger number of models in things like UML. Um, and I think it's a mistake to, you know, wave a wand and to call those things, uh, assume those things are not ontologies just because they're written in, in UML. There's a great deal of good work that's been done in that area, and there's millions of those models out there. So that's the first part, is that any content ought to be able to play, um, no matter what its uh, logical system. And then any implementation path, should play, and that's a tougher um, that's a tougher um, hurdle to overcome. In that, uh, for example, let's say I have a uh, an owl ontology that I really like. Let's say I like uh, the owl time ontology, and I want to use it in my common logic system. Well, that that entails a, some sort of semantic uh, interoperability capability that goes over and above. Um, the ability to organize and search for syntactic entities that the ontologies are. Um, so however those two things play out, there's, there's one thing we don't want, and, and one thing we don't want is an OR that's wedded to some particular uh, uh, syntactic standard, uh, God forbid, or, or a particular uh, view of what ontologies are. Uh, Pat Hayes, I think, has, has done a, a great job in, in sort of pounding this into my head and in a lot of people's heads that, uh, you know, I can write down a bunch of sentences in common logic, and I can do that without using the word class and without using the word property and without using the word relation. I have a bunch of axioms there, and and uh, I would challenge anybody to tell me that's not an ontology. So uh, we, we don't want to be, just because it may be popular to do things one way, we don't want to be wedded uh, to a software design approach that assumes that everybody's going to be doing things that way. Uh, I, again, I think Mike's approach is amenable to uh, putting whatever sorts of views or indexing capabilities you want on top of this such that people can see things any way they want. But it, so if you want to see a class and property way of doing ontologies, that's fine. That's a module. That shouldn't be something you're forced to do. Um, okay, next slide, slide three. So this is to expand on the first point. I'm calling it syntactic egalitarianism. Um, you shouldn't be able to stipulate the authoring language. So in other words, I can't say, well, you can just do OWL. If you don't want to do OWL, you're out of luck. So um, let me see. Yeah, I think I just talked to that, so I'm going to skip over it. My presentation is going to be really short. A little bit more about the end use, though. I, I, I talked about... Uh, you know, any implementation pass should play, and what I call that property is semantic accessibility. So I shouldn't be able to stipulate the end use if only take things out of OOR that are in OWL format, then I'm somewhat, uh, I'm either on my own or I'm required to use OWL-based tools. That may be fine if you live in that world, but it's not fine if you live in, say, a database world or you live in a common logic world. 
uh, or if you live in a prologue world, um, as uh, some of Leo's work has shown. So, so you can't make that assumption. You can't make the assumption of, you know, how people are going to use it. You can't assume that there'll be, you know, racer on the far end. So each logical system makes a semantic assumptions, as we heard time and time again, the differences between um, closed world and open world reasoning for so on. So on uh, the vast number, or the largest number of reasoners out there in the world, the, uh, uh, the database systems of various kinds, namely relational databases, make the closed world assumption. For better or for worse, to do it. So we should have uh, some sort of answer for this. Uh, there's two kinds of uh, translation modules that I would suspect that we, we should support. One would be um, a notion of upward translation, so semantic, uh, preserving the semantics of the, uh, of the uh, source of the translation and the target. Again, uh, uh, Chris Menzel and Pat have demonstrated this in the case of OWL. Uh, it's fairly easy to uh, it's fairly easy to uh, recode an owl ontology into common logic and have its semantics completely preserved. It's not possible to take an arbitrary theory written in common logic and downcode it to owl. However, pieces of it can be done. So that might be an approximation or a subset approach. So the OOR architecture ought to support both approaches and should, should be able to carry provenance information to let people know what sort of transformations have been applied to what content. Um, again, I, I'm, I'm echoing Mike's uh, thing with the, with the plug-in APIs. I think he did a great job of that. I didn't see a slide for what these comments, so next slide. So where does common logic come into this stuff? Uh, common logic can really be considered to be an upper limit for the kinds of things we might want to express ontologies in. And, and, the, and Mike Gruninger might chime in if he's listening, if he's unmuted and listening, in that it's infeasible that there would be something more expressive that we would still want to compute with. Common logic has all of the express, expressivity of first-order logic, and by this I mean any compliant uh, common logic concrete dialect. You don't reason with common logic, you reason with the dialects. So it has all the expressiveness of first-order logic, and it has even more because of the sequence variables. Um, for, for those of you who are interested, it's equivalent uh, to some form of infinitary logic. So if Mike's on, he can help clear that up as a name for it. So it's, I think it's, it's infinitary logic, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know which one. There's a, some omegas and numbers. <laughs> um, so... Um, so it makes an ideal upper limit for a, trans, for a semantic translation target uh, in the OOR in that uh, pretty much anything we can say can be translated into it, even the stuff uh, involving closed-world assumption. Uh, Ray, Ray Ryder demonstrated a long time ago um, that it's possible, for example, to take a, a, a relational database and produce a first-order uh, theory of the contents of the database. And the, sorry, the semantics of the database. So... Um, so even that sort of thing is possible. Um, now, there's a couple ways this can be done. Um, one is as a re-expression of theories in other languages into uh, CL concrete dialects. So, for example, um, OWL can be translated to CRIP. In other words, the ontology is re-expressed, recoded in a different logical system. Uh, the other is that OWL itself can be treated as a concrete CL dialect, 
this makes it pretty easy because the semantics line up. They're both classical. And the OWL abstract syntax or even the XML syntax or whatever syntax you like, the XML RDF syntax, could be um, uh, defined as a concrete CL dialect. And effectively, uh, that handles the translation right there. There's no need to do translation from that point. Next slide, please. So I'll mention, I, I had the, the advantage of going last, and I want to mention a couple of comments. I've seen a, a couple of the speakers uh, so far make some confusion between, um, uh, between uh, syntax and uh, semantics, or between syntactic and uh, semantic properties of these ontologies. So, for example, uh, in a couple places we heard talk about, well, we want to uh, find uh, classes called uh, dog, for example. But even in, in Owlful, uh, for example, that's, that's a mistake to say that. There is a name, there's a URI, and it happens to have dog in the string, and its use in this ontology is as a class. Uh, it's used as a class, but that's not even that's not even correct, because in Owlful, a, a class can be used as an argument um, uh, to a predicate or a property. So, is that a class or is it not a class? Is it an individual? Well, that's really a semantic property, and it's not a syntactic property, unless we're talking about some sort of meta-level model of the languages concerned, where we encode the the, um, the the relevant syntactic structure and say, well, yeah, in this ontology a dog occupies uh, only uh, the class rule. It only, it only uh, exists as a predicate and not as an as a argument or, or something denoting an individual. Uh, so, so we should at least – so this suggests that, that if you're going to have some sort of uh, level of meta-level representation, the very uh, lowest common denominator should be that of a name. And this was precisely the design assumption that was made uh, when common logic was built is that there really isn't anything special uh, to all these different categories of names. Uh, there's only one kind of thing in common logic, and it's called a name, and the, and the space of names is untyped. Uh, common logic doesn't discriminate between names as predicates, names as uh, function symbols, or uh, uh, names as uh, logical constants. So that uh, suggests uh, some sort of lower-level category. And then on top of that, we might want to have some kind of notion of syntactic consistency, uh, constituency. So we're interested, we're not just interested in finding whether some ontology has the name dog in it. We're interested in finding which ontologies have the name dog in it and uh, what sort of place that uh, name has in the structure of that particular ontology. One of the problems with this, this approach is that each language has its own idea of syntactic structure. So, for example, uh, in uh, the XMLRDF code encoding of OWL, uh, there is a, a syntax that OWL has, but that's built upon RDF syntax. So I don't know what the notion of constituency looks like with respect to that. The same thing uh, obtains in CLIF. Um, the question is, at the meta level, do you want to pay homage to the things CLIF recognizes as formulas, um, function terms, and so on? Or don't you? Do you just want to say that, well, names appear in ontologies and leave it at that? Uh, also, the same, same effect occurs with UML, which has yet another structure. Um, it's somewhat more similar to OWL, but not, not, completely, uh, not completely lined up. So um, let me see. I think I had a couple more extra comments. Um, yeah, so 
so I think Bruce touched on this for a second. It's whether whether we want to allow reasoning in the repository. And given everything I said, I think that would be a pretty daunting task to implement reasoning in the repository and, and, and what sort of reasoning we'd want to implement. Um, so there's sort of two, two kinds of uh, uh, semantic properties I think might be useful to support. And one would be uh, uh, sort of higher-order statements. In other words, what are the things that are used as classes in this ontology? Uh, what are the things that are used as individuals? What are the things that are used as relations? Again, each, each sort of modeling formalism has their own idea of what those things are. And then finally, uh, there might be interesting properties such as entailment. I, I want to find the ontologies where persons are taken to be mammals. In other words, I want to find ontologies where every person is a mammal, given that I've, I've uh, identified uh, names in those ontologies that I believe stand for person and mammal. I'd want to find out if, the, if those ontologies entail uh, some semantic property. Uh, let me see. So I think that's it. I, I, this is the end of my comments. In terms of tools, uh, the end of my comments about my slides, but in terms of tools, uh, Ontology Works is working on some tools. Now we're taking some non-standard approaches, but we have our own, own thing we're doing, and we have our own way of doing things. Um, I know Randall Schultz is also working on uh, parsers and so on for common logic, and, and we would certainly be willing to play uh, in producing parsers and translators to other concrete syntaxes. For example, uh, uh, XCL, which is the XML encoding of uh, or XML concrete dialect of uh, common logic. Actually, we've already built uh, facilities to do that, so we'd be willing to uh, only have tools like that. So that's it. Okay, thank you, Bill. Um, folks, uh, now we're going to turn uh, over uh, to the discussion period. Um, and what we'd like to, you to do is, uh, if you've had questions on the chat line, or if you want to uh, raise a question on the chat line, or uh, if you're on the phone line and would like to raise a question, uh, we'd like to address these in kind of a, 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 a relative uh relatively uh, orderly fashion. Uh, let's see. On the chat line, um, one, of the, one of the ways we, uh, uh, act, uh, you know, make an active question on the chat line is to um, uh, press the hand button in the lower right, uh, raising your hand that you have a question. Um, do, do we have any uh, questions? Okay, I see uh, possibly a question, but do we have any questions on the on the phone? Uh, can you hear me, Leo? Yes. Uh, Peter, I'm here. So maybe before we go uh, start, let's sort of line everyone up. I mean, queue everyone up. If you would kindly, uh, if you're on the chat board, uh, press the hand button if you do have a question. And if you're only on the phone, press 1-1 one, one on your keypad. That way we at least have an inventory of everyone who would want to uh, make a remark or ask a question. And then uh, I, I can help sort of uh, go down the list. And, and, and prompt people. Uh, I have both the the phone screen and, of course, uh, most of 
or all of us have the uh, screen in front of us. Uh, also, one one thing, uh, I don't see Ravi Sharma on the chat screen, but earlier he said he he saw that the chat screen active. So maybe you're on the wrong uh, chat room. You are. Uh, you might want to go back to session page, refresh it, and click on the chat room uh, uh, icon, uh, uh, link. Peter? Yes. I have a question. It's Bill. I mean, I, I, I didn't see how to join the chat room unless it's through Skype. Uh, it, it, no, this, uh, if you go to the session page. Uh, the I'm looking page, at it right now. All right. Scroll, uh, scroll down to uh, 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 questions, questions, answers, and discourse. So right below, like panelist presentation, and right below okay. the slide, uh, where it says questions, answers, and discourse. Uh, pull this down. There's a thing that says point your browser to a certain link. That's not. I got it. I got it. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. All right. You probably need to click on setting and then change your name to a WikiWork name. That will be helpful. All right. Uh, let, let's go through uh, any other logistics question before I hand it back to to Leo on the uh, on on sort of Q and A. Okay. If there are no more questions. Uh, right. Let's uh, uh, look at um, the chat line. It looks like uh, Rex Brooks uh, is at the head of the queue. Uh, thanks, Leo. My question, my first question, and I'll, I'll ask my second question later. Uh, I'll get back in line for it. Uh, my first question is for Mike Dean. In terms of architecture plat uh, for platforms, do we have any specific recommendations for repository standards, e.g., uh, EBXML registry repository? I asked because we could run into problems federating registries if their associated repositories don't support some features that, you know, we all need to have or all want to have, such as, uh, you know, the repository custodian specifying a particular kind of a classification scheme so that you can, you know, put a, an ontology in two places uh, if you need to for people to find them. Uh, and so we might need some basic set of terms, or might we need some basic set of terms for the initial set of, uh, of repositories and their associated ontologies? Um, I, I think the key for federation is really the metadata vocabulary. Um, that, um, and you know, in many cases, basically, we'll be translating um, uh, from a representation used by some other. Um, uh, repository registry into the um, uh, vocabulary that's being used by the um, um, uh, by a given uh, uh, repository instance. Um, so you know, what we've been uh, primarily focusing on at this point is the OMV vocabulary, uh, recognizing that it's likely to need some extensions, um, or that we're going to want some extensions to that as well. And uh, I, I think. Um, um, you know, sort of, sort of like the, some of the examples that uh, Mark showed um, with BioPortal. Uh, you know, not all of the remote repositories may provide all that information. Does that answer your question? Uh, it gets close enough. Okay. 
Okay. Um, looks like, um, uh, well, first of all, Peter, do we have any other uh, questioners on the phone line? Yeah, we have one uh, person uh, from the 908 area code. You, uh, since there's only one, maybe we, we can take that person first. Person from 908, uh, if you Hi, see a um, star, you. Yes. Okay, go ahead. Are you ready? Yes. yes. Uh, this is Pat Castle. Just a quick question for... Um, uh, Bill Anderson. Bill, you, you were talking about the... the oh, uh, no. Pardon? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, about the uh, translatability uh, or, or scale, yep. um, common logic being the, the, the maximum. Uh, can cycle, the psych language, be translated into common logic? You know, it, it's really funny. I can't, I can't really answer that um, because I, it's been years since I've seen the state of PsychL, but given what I knew about it, I, I think in 2002 I had a discussion with one of the uh, folks at Psych, and it, um, and this is when we were, I, I don't even know what it was called, it was called Common Logic in 2002, um, I think we were calling SCL or something like that, uh, but I, I had outlined the basic semantics to him, and it was his opinion that it could be translated. Okay, because I've seen it described as, as Higher order logic, but I don't know if the, um, the the fiddling you can do with common logic can. Yeah, it's higher order in in the same sense that common logic is. It's still a first order semantic language, but has a higher order syntax. Right. Uh, yeah, well, that, well, con concrete dialects aren't required to have that higher order syntax, but but Swift does, for example. Right. And Michael Greeninger here. I, I think that is kind of an open question. Uh, there isn't. I, I've never actually seen an official document for PsychL. Uh, no. That would that specifies uh, its precise semantics uh, because a language, uh, for uh, particularly say with, with uh, common logic, it can have a second order looking syntax, but the semantics is still first order, um, and people can, you know, kind of subtly abuse uh, the phrase higher order. My impression was though that PsychL was at one point anyway was claiming to be uh, a second order language. Um, so there are certain semantic tests. You know, so if you can represent uh, the standard model of piano arithmetic, then you really are second order. Um, right. And uh, there's no kind of way around that. So you could, we could pose those kinds of semantic tests to a, a psychel expert and, and, and you determine it that way. But it is not clear. You, you, just like in the syntax, you cannot determine what the semantics is supposed to be. So yeah, it was like I said, it was just uh, it was it was anecdotal. Um, the the fellow at Psychorp was one of the logicians. It was his opinion it could be translated. In other words, that case, uh, so case that would be a, a, a first order semantics language then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, any other discussion on that point? Um, uh, I actually have a, a, a quick question. Um, I know that um, the, the semantics is supposed to be uh, first order uh, for common logic, um, but if you were to map uh, common logic back into first order logic, what, uh, as classically defined, would you have to eliminate uh, sequence markers, etc.? 
Well, that's a, the, the, the my, actually Michael would be the best to answer that. But yeah, I mean the the finitary subset can be mapped back into uh, first order logic. Yeah, you drop the sequence markers or certain uses of the sequence markers. Actually, that's right. Yeah, I yeah. think it, it's uh, if you have initial. Uh, yeah, there is a, a particular restriction that if you don't quantify over the sequence markers or something like this, uh, I forget the exact details as well. But but pretty well, if you take away the sequence um, markers, then you definitely are fully equivalent to first-order logic. Okay, and, and there's nothing special with the, the names? No. no the higher-order syntax, uh, higher syntax we would have to be translated away into sort of uh, application and holds uh, predicates. Okay. But it could be done, yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, we have uh, Fabian uh, on the chat queue. Yeah, um, I have also a question for Bill. Uh, Bill, you said that um, common logic is kind of the upper boundary uh, with uh, for everything we ever wanted to re reason with. But then you well, said, mis then mis you said that the yeah. that the uh, that the repository itself shouldn't offer any uh, reasoning capabilities because that would be a daunting task. So why why not go uh, further? Don't why not use um, ECL, for example, as, an, as, a rep, uh, as a representation language in the uh, OR, and for any given task, of course, people will only use a subset of ECL or some, some restriction of ECL. But I, I don't um, see a reason why to, to stick with uh, common logic. Why not go further? Well, that's a good that's a good question, Fabian. In fact, it's a really good question, and uh, it's too bad we don't have Pat or uh, or Chris Menzel here because it, actually Pat did uh, the bulk of the heavy lifting on ICO. Um, I only worked on it a little bit. So, um, um, the first off, I, I don't think that a semantics has ever been produced for ICO. Um, I don't think that ever got completed. Now, I may be wrong. You guys may be different. I, yeah, I'm. Not, I'm there's a spe uh, specification out there of the semantics, and I've looked at it rather um, long and didn't find any errors. So okay, so let's let's say that that's done. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, um, yeah, you could probably do that. And what I don't think ICL has any more power unless it's got sequence variables. It's still a first-order language. Well, it has uh, a truth predicate. Oh, it does or have some equivalent. Equivalent of a truth predicate. It allows quantification over propositions, um, right? Uh, which, it, so I don't know. I mean, I, 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 when I made that statement, I was making that with an engineering hat on. I think, uh, for all practical purposes, um, common logic without the, uh, the the finitary subset of common logic can be dealt with with existing first order reasoners, for example. So we could go ahead and use things like Snark or Vampire or whatever to to reason with it. Um, now that's that's a comment about common logic. Now, uh, a separate remark you made was concerning what I said about allowing reasoning within the OOR. Um, that's an interesting question in and of itself. And I, I said it would be difficult. I didn't say I, we shouldn't do it. Um, I just think it would be difficult. But certainly, um, it depends on what you mean by that reasoning. Do we want to reason over meta-level representations of the stored ontologies? For example, uh, um, you know, find me ontologies that have uh, that have sentences that contain the word word dog. Um, you could write a theory of of uh, syntactic constituency and theory of names that would allow you to answer a query like that with a reasoner. 
uh, rather than, say, with a text search. Um, that sort of reasoning, I think, would be really useful. Uh, what, what we would do beyond that in terms of, uh, you know, translating or whatever, uh, I really don't know. From an engineering standpoint, I just think it would be tough to, uh, to get, it, get it going. Thank you. Um, any other uh, discussion on that point? Okay. Um, I, I would suggest looking at the phone queue. Uh, anything there, Peter? No. Okay. Uh, next on the chat queue is uh, Harold uh, Solbrig. Uh, Harold, are, are you still on? You I may be I muted. I suspect that Harold has to do the star three to uh, unmute his line yeah. first. And then, there we uh, go. There I'm go. unmuted. Yeah, I forgot about the star three. Um, yeah, I noticed the semantic media wiki was at least mentioned in a couple of the discussions. And I was wondering whether that community, uh, the developers in that community, has have been engaged in this effort or whether any attempts have been made and if not um, would there be an interest in trying to get them involved in this? I, I, this is Mike Dean, I can, can answer that uh, at least at some level. Uh, so several of us are uh, uh, using Semantic Media Wiki on um, other projects and um, uh, Mark Greaves uh, has given uh, a couple talks to the Ontolog Forum and um, uh, is is aware, uh, at least at some level, of the, the OOR effort. Uh, so, and other folks um, uh, at Enterprise as well. Peter Kim here. Uh, maybe I, I could also add to it that actually quite a few of us. I mean, not just some of us, but uh, the the Stanford the, the Stanford people ha uh, have a sort of. Uh, very close working relationship with the Karlsruhe people and then as we noticed leading I mean the, the RPI folks are doing some extensions uh, CIM3 and uh, Northeastern University uh, Ken Bukowski's group are doing some extension on uh, MediaWiki I mean we're not doing uh, semantic portion of it but at least the uh, granular addressability uh, parts of it, and uh, and so so I think uh, the semantic media wiki definitely is coming into the picture in a very strong way, and and those people are engaged. I mean, not just okay, good because uh, in, in uh, particular, I know that they're building their well a couple of different uh, back-end models, uh, and I I think it would benefit everybody if they converged on what's going on here, and also I know that they're doing some work on their own query languages, so I, I, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. So, so uh, whoever has direct contact, like like people like Mark uh, uh, and or, or the uh, Lee and so on, let's try to uh, loop the, the Karlsruhe people in uh, firsthand. Oh, by the way, I just want to add some comments. Uh, in my presentation, I covered a little bit of initial investigation on uh, building ontologies on Semantic Wiki, and uh, currently in this semester, we are planning to have uh, some students investigate building a 
uh, ontology repository using the latest semantic wiki and the Halo extension. And uh, I think uh, what's neat there is not just user interface uh, provided by Halo extension, but also build up some kind of a, a template and forms to enable better ontology editing and uh, management. And We've, possibly, uh, with, yes. Okay, we, we built one of those at Mayo and would, uh, based on the Lex grid model and would be happy to, to do a presentation on it. As a matter of fact, we're using it for our next generation thesaurus and, and ontology editing, as is the National Cancer Institute. Um, so I think we should definitely engage on that. Is that Harold? Yes, that's Harold Solbring. Great, great. Uh, PDM here. So I'll, I'll get back to you on, on this presentation, definitely. Yeah. Okay, excellent, excellent. Yeah, one one of the comments is uh, on the the server that that CIM three is sort of uh, providing to to get some of the work started. Part of the plans will be to install a uh, collaborative work environment for OOR and instead of Purple Wiki, which Ontolog is using. I mean, of course, Ontolog will eventually migrate as well. Uh, our plans would be to to put uh, to stand up a purple semantic media wiki uh, instance, and of course we would definitely look forward to installing the, the Halo extension, the, uh, the, the the extensions that uh, that that Leading and his uh, his colleagues are uh, developing, and so on. So that could be a sort of uh, test platform. Uh, where some of uh, where we could get everyone's uh, expansions in the same place and play around with it. Yeah, one other addition, by the way, the World Health Organization is using Semantic Media Wiki for authoring the International Classification of Diseases version 11. Oh, fantastic. Maybe you you can tell us a little bit more about that when you present and and even uh, loop them in if they are open. Back to Leo. Okay. Uh, thanks, folks. Um, I think Rex Brooks is up uh, next on cue. Um, thanks, Leo. Uh, my, my second question is for Bruce, uh, and it is about the uh, translation from UML to OWL. I'm wondering whether you have your own set of rules for for doing this, or whether you're um, or, or how you're doing it. Because I I've, I've run into problems with XMI uh, in that area before, so I thought I'd ask. First, I have to get off mute and <laughs> talk to myself. Uh, I, I think your question uh, sounds a like uh, like uh, what Mike Bennett has written on the chat line, um, and. Uh, let me say that we have uh, the, the first time we did it was before things like ODM had really come into existence. I think it was back in the RFP stages and OMG for the ODM. Um, and Kevin uh, can unmute himself and talk uh, through uh, that process a little bit. But um, while, while he's thinking about doing that, uh, let me say that we've been working with uh, Lisa Kendall. Um, who has been much involved in the ODM uh, efforts. And I think while we speak, she's scrambling to get paperwork together to 
by a Friday deadline for OMG to take ODM final. And so um, we're kind of working in the state of the art trying to, to do these translations. Um, and we're watching for tools that may develop uh, according to ODM and so on. Um, but uh, maybe, uh, Kevin, if you can unmute yourself, you can walk through uh, the process that you've been using. Um, yeah, part of what's been making it easier for us is that we're the author of the, the UML that we're putting in. So uh, uh, I haven't been trying to grapple with the more general problem of transforming any UML into OWL. It's been focused on um, just transforming UML that was specifically designed uh, be transformable into OWL. Um, but uh, uh, that's, the solution, that's the solution that, that I'm looking at for the work that I have that's upcoming to do this in, um, in the OASIS Emergency Management Technical Committee. So I was hoping to, I was hoping to hear that uh, there were perhaps uh, a better or more reliable um, you know, set of uh, translation terms. Um, yeah, and I'm, uh, like you said, we're, we're uh, hoping at least can, can help us figure out whether ODM fill that role, and, and if so, basically what, um, how well it can be tweaked to get it to do more precisely what we would want. Um, assuming that, that what comes out by default isn't quite what we've been doing previously. Uh, but we, we haven't gotten very far on that uh, process yet. Elisa Kendall has been taking our UML models and trying to produce uh, ontologies from them uh, using tools that are being developed along the lines of ODM. Uh, but as, as Kevin notes, we're, we're kind of at the state of the art there, and, and uh, uh, we don't have a tool at this moment you can say, push the button and it does it. Well, I'm planning to do it the same way you're doing it, so we'll have to live with it, I guess. For a while. For a while. But but as, as uh, Bill Anderson noted, it's, uh, there's some complexities that underlie it that uh, uh, are, uh, are things we have to deal with. Thank you. Okay. Any um, any anyone on the phone queue, Peter? Uh, not nine oh eight person probably. But, but should we give Mike yeah, Bennett uh, a chance first before Pat gets the second round? Okay, sure. Um, uh, looks like Mike Bennett. Mike, you, you may want to unmute yourself. Star three. Have I unmuted myself? Uh, yes, you, uh, we hear you. Oh, good, good. I wasn't sure it was star two or star three. Um, yeah, I should have uh, read Rex's question more closely because you've answered my question um, uh, pretty much exactly. I wasn't sure from the um, diagrams that we were seeing whether it was 
just UML metadata about the ontology or actual UML ontology content, and you've kind of answered that. Because I've got exactly the same problem, and I've spoken to Elisa, but I know she's been very busy lately. Um, but I modeled um, using a very early version of the ODM, and I had to make some pretty big departures from it to accommodate a particular tool. So as soon as some standard ODM is, is, is formalized and there are standard ways of transforming from it, I guess they're all going to have to uh, tweak the interior of our UML-based models to, um, to produce something that can actually be... Um, translated out because at the moment I, I don't have a way of doing that so so yeah I'm, I'm answered um, Mike uh, one of the things I had in mind going forward was to uh, actually in, hopefully be able to embed tags or other annotations in the UML that we're using as the source to to be used as hints or, um, you know, some other, otherwise used by um, some mapping procedure. Um, I, I guess I'm just, just throwing that out there as, as where I'm thinking of, of going with it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, um, any other discussion on that point? Thank you. Uh, I think, I guess, Pat is next on the phone line. Yeah, quick question, talking about translations. Does anybody know of a utility that will translate from OWL into KIF or SCIF or some other common logic compliant language? Yeah, this is Bill. Um, the, Unless Michael knows of something, the, uh, uh, the the method for doing that translation was defined in a paper by uh, uh, Chris Menzel. I think maybe Pat Hayes as well. Uh, whether someone's, I, I don't think anybody's written a, a piece of software to do it, but uh, but doing something like that's, you know, it's pretty simple. I think it would be a example of, a, or I think it would take a couple of days using Jenna or something. And the transformations are very straightforward. Uh, yeah, uh, okay. Um, does anybody feel like undertaking that? <laughs> Writing that piece of software? I'm not familiar with Janet. Um, Bill, this is Kay. Yeah. Paul Brinkley actually wrote that software for us, and we have that available. Uh, that I don't, that uses uh, the transformations defined by Menzel? I don't think so. I don't know if it used the transformations defined by Menzel or not, but it, it yeah. did the, the transformations from our common logic Where ontology. Where's the software available? Um, we could check and see about making it available. Yeah. I mean, because it would have to We'd be standard. We'd work with Bill. Yeah, it would have to be standard compliant on both ends, you know, I mean, for this to be useful. Um, so, yeah, let's talk more about that online. Who was asking again? It's Pat Cassidy. Oh, Pat Cassidy. Hi, Pat Cassidy. Uh, yeah, uh, just to send Kay and I in the mail and we'll get it sorted out. Um, address? Uh, who am I talking to? This is Bill. Uh, Bill. Oh, Bill. And Kay Goodyear. Yeah, yeah you, you know our address. <laughs> okay, okay. I didn't recognize hey. you. Gotcha. Okay. Hey. Peter Yim here. I mean, if I may ask Kay 
by making it available, do you mean uh, opening it up or uh, making it available to pets? Right. Uh, of course, I uh, we would love the former. Well, you know, any, anything, it, even, even if it's not perfectly conforming to everything, uh, if, if it uh, if it works for any given yeah. And for any given particular case, that that's going to be very valuable. And it's just that Pat, you know, because because we are, we got a company, you know, our name goes on it and stuff, so we want to make sure it's right. And you know that kind of thing. We don't want to put something out there that you know people can then gripe about, say, well, it doesn't do this and doesn't do that. We'd rather get it right. I'd rather get it right. It would be more useful if it's right. So we need to make sure that that. Uh, oh, you make it public, okay? But yeah. What what case? I, I just want to I just want to make sure that it's uh, uh, that it does that does what you need. Are you talking about Kip or are you talking about uh, Cliff? Uh, something for which there is, I mean, I, 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 I know of reasoners that will use Kip. I don't know right. as of right now of any reasoner that will use whatever variant of Cliff. Yeah, we do not have something that outputs Kip. Okay. That's fine. Kip is fine. Yeah. Cliff is fine. I think I think that's what he meant. Yeah. Uh, I, I said Kif because I know of a reasoner that works with Kif. If you output Cliff, we'll, we'll work with that. Yeah, it would require extra work for us to, to do Kif, and, and really there's there's not much. Well, Kif, you know, the simplified yeah. Kif, the really simple yeah. thing. Um, you know, if if and, you know if you know of some reasoner that will use your variant your 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 Cliff, you know, uh, for, you know the, the um, you know Adam Peace has his. Uh, Sigma key that that will uh, take. Um, they'll take Cliff. Skip, they'll take Skip and and uh, reason with it with Vampire. Okay. Like that. Um, right. So. Too bad Adam's not on. That might be might have been a useful uh, contribution. Or uh, you know if if your um, if ontology works, use it. Just some, something that's accessible. That you know does, if ont- well, ontology works, take Cliff. Uh, we actually, actually not. I mean, our language is sort of is sort of our own. We have uh, portions of it that are standard Cliff and portions of it that are not. So, uh, yeah, we'd have to. But but we'd be willing to support Cliff applications if we if somebody wants a straight Cliff translation, we'd probably be the natural people to write that module. And like I said, it would take me, you know, a couple of days with Jenna to do it. It's not that hard. I, I've I've written uh, translators from L before, for example, the DLP subset, things like that. Uh, if I could uh, uh, make a comment on that, on that discussion, uh, it's a more general comment uh, about contributing code uh, to the OOR. Uh, this is open uh, open source. One of the issues is, um, uh, does the code that you contribute have to be, in some sense, complete? Can it be? Uh, at an intermediate stage, for example, it doesn't do everything, but it does some things. It, it, that would be that'd be okay with me. I wouldn't care uh, since we probably won't be doing much implementation work on OOR. It's really up to the people that would be the consumers of that code. Uh, what What do other folks think? Uh, if something's useful, I'd like to see it there. I mean, even if uh, you know, as long as of course it's 
the yeah, because I, I mean, the point that Bill raised was that, <laughs> from his perspective, if uh, the company uh, behind the code, uh, you know, has a reputation to protect, um, uh, then they don't really want to put out something that's, uh, you know, necessarily incomplete or... Right. Uh, right. And, and, you know, and, and, and any company that feels that a disclaimer at the top saying this is incomplete but we're providing it anyway because some people find it useful, if that's not good enough, then, then you know, that's their, their policy decision not to provide it. Mm -hmm. Any other Any other comment on that? If you have some standard um, scope statement saying what's in some code and standards on how that's specified, then that would surely cover it. Uh, I, I didn't quite get uh, your comment. Um, so, you know, if, if somebody uploads some code, if one simply had a fairly disciplined kind of uh, uh, level of description of, of, of functionality, then, you know, it doesn't matter what it does or doesn't do as long as it's documented to a common standard. Yeah, that's, that, that's reasonable. Uh, that would also enable folks to make contributions um, to your contribution. Yeah, yeah, it would have to be. There's the issue of licensing too. I mean, you have to you'd have to make sure you attach uh, you know some kind of relevant open source license to it. And um, uh, uh, just a, a, a continuation, slightly, uh, maybe a comment to Mike Dean. Uh, Mike, would anything uh, preclude some sort of uh, uh, multi-person contribution on uh, the same module? Um, no, that should be fine. I mean, it would, uh, I, I would expect most of the modules to basically be maintained on the OOR project. Um, and uh, we still need to finalize exactly which open source license we're using for that project. Uh, but um, uh, certainly it's intended to be a, a collaborative effort. You know, I, again, you know, modeled after Apache and things like that. Um, I was going to add a comment, too, that I, uh, one of the notes I took to myself here was to add a notion of uh, a translation module. Um, that could basically be uh, a standard a standard interface that could be used for uh, uh, various translators between different languages, and along with an indication essentially of whether it's a complete transform both in the logical sense and in the implementation sense. Oh, can I, can I ask a question quickly? It's Bill. I have a question directly to Mike's point. Um, so, Mike, would would you see as a requirement for such translation modules that they carry? Uh, uh, provenance information or, or back pointers to the source. So, for example, if I have an OWL to CL translation and I produce a CL axiom, uh, it would be maximally useful for the user of the resulting CL if they could see where it came from. Uh, so, let's say there's comments in the original OWL documents, for example, that, uh, uh, that wouldn't be part of the translation. Right. Certainly that's desirable. I don't know if it's necessarily a requirement. I think it's more okay. of a sort of a Functional character nice the translator, but it's certainly a good idea. Okay. I mean, you, you thought essentially it's essentially embed comments that basically provide the original source. 
Yeah, or some some way to get back to it. Uh, of course, with the with the web enabled stuff, it makes that job kind of nice because the documents have URLs and, and there's ways to refer to the, their contents. Right. Um, right. So, so the, the the things embedded in in the in the translation target um, could could easily take advantage of those mechanisms to point backwards. Yeah, I, and uh, we in suite rules, you know, we have the ability to basically chain translators together. And essentially, you know, determine a sequence of translations that could actually, you know, get from one format to another, and uh, that that's incredibly useful to be able to do that. Cool. Uh, this is Lee from RPI. Uh, I think your question uh, would be also be helpful. Like, uh, we should identify probably we want to generate some metadata to record this relation because yep. uh, most of the uh, translation engines should be able to pro export this translation process. Then we just use need to build up a vocabulary to capture this uh, provenance relation. As of now, we have a ontology which is focusing on this uh, uh, trans capture this kind of uh, inference uh, or translation relations uh, called PML, proof marker language. And uh, we are willing to help to build up this ontology to help the community. Cool. Uh, Folks, we, we only have about 12 minutes left. Um, uh, Peter has a comment on the chat uh, uh, that maybe we should uh, move on to reducing the discussion to actionable items and commitments. Um, I'll, I'll I'm in queue here, but I'll, 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 I'll depart from the queue. Um, I see that Fabian just departed too, but maybe he has a quick question. Um, uh, no, I can I can put that on the chat room. I I fully support the idea to do uh, action items. Okay, thank you. Um, so uh, what we'd like to do here is, uh, you know, uh, given our discussion and the panelists' uh, uh, presentations, we want to, you know, come up with some actionable items and commitments. You know, the really the point the point of this the synergies and gaps uh, discussion. Uh, and, you know, uh, uh, next steps uh, related to that. But what we are interested in is, you know, moving this forward and, uh, you know, uh, obtaining direct contributions uh, from folks um, uh, and or commitments for contributions meaning uh, work contributions, not funding contributions. Mike, do you want to, to sort of uh, uh, throw out, I mean, what everyone, uh, any, any, uh, anyone who wants to sort of take part could do? Uh, uh, Peter, I missed a little bit of that. Um, but um, uh, one question that came up offline was sort of uh, uh, where to continue discussion on these things. And I think the OR email list is the uh, um, uh, appropriate form uh, for doing that. Um, you know, I'm planning on certainly making some extensions and kind of continuing to build this uh, um, in my own spare time. I think uh, maybe if people who have an interest in um, developing another module or uh, 
uh, something, if they want to post a message to the OR list uh, um, saying that they're starting on something and you know, sketching essentially their plan and stuff, uh, I think that would all be, be very helpful. And uh, you know, I think that there's um, um, uh, a lot of potential for um, um, parallel development essentially at the module level um, that um, um, we can basically have a lot of committers basically to the project and the repository uh, uh, at this point and, uh, and um, uh, support uh, parallel development. From, from uh, the XMDR standpoint, things that, that might be able to contribute, uh, we're working on committee draft two for the 1179 standard and pretty well getting a set of uh, figures together in UML. Uh, and then translating that into an ontology. And uh, I'd like to put those things out for people to take a look at and comment on. Uh, so you could either comment on the UML uh, or on the ontology or both. Uh, there's also some possibility of uh, some XML schema. Um, uh, one thing we're working on is a XML schema for uh, edition two of 1179, which isn't as relevant to this effort as edition three will be. Uh, but in due course, we'll have uh, a XML schema for uh, edition three as well. So basically, like to contribute a UML model followed by an ontology, uh, then possibly followed by an XML schema. Uh, I'd like to have a. Uh, a whack at uh, providing examples that fit into that. Who, who is? Uh, uh, this is Rex. That'd be great. Um, it, uh, as Mike has mentioned, a server uh, it will be available. Uh, so. First of all, I, I guess if, if you, anyone I mean, who, who wants to track this project, if you are not already on the OOR forum list, uh, please uh, subscribe. I mean, there, there, there's a, a, a couple of places on today's session page that uh, points to how one would subscribe. If anyone has still have problems, please uh, email me, Peter Yim. Uh, I can subscribe you. That's number one. Number two, once the server is ready, which I guess would be within the next week or two, uh, then maybe I mean, we, we could suggest sort of putting together a first instance and supposedly maybe uh, identifying a date where we can have a first deliverable of some sort. That would be a sort of collaborative uh, piece from the uh, early contributors of code. Uh, how could we go about that, Mike? I mean, that you can see. It's reasonable. Well, I, th I think the, um, um, you know, the software project provides, you know, some infrastructure basically for, uh, you know, contributing the, um, uh, sort of glue code, you know, to, to gather pieces together. Uh, you know, I think I assume that we would also require um, putting the um, um, some of the individually contributed components. You know, perhaps the XMDR installation of the BioPortal uh, uh, jar file, uh, for example. Um, you know, on the infrastructure machine as well. 
Um, I don't know. Um, there, there's some a question for some of those uh, larger packages where we want to uh, sort of import all the code or essentially uh, um, uh, reuse portions of them and, and essentially wrap parts of their implementation. And that's probably, you know, dependent uh, in part on, uh, um, you know, how they want to provide uh, provide that code. We don't want to have, I, I think, uh, uh, avoiding version skew is probably desirable. And, you know, there's certainly packages like Jenna, for instance, that, uh, um, you know, we would just sort of incorporate by by use rather than um, than by uh, um, uh, importing the code itself into the, uh, uh, into the software project. Does that make sense to folks? And this is Mark. I mean, certainly we want to be able to contribute everything we can from Bioportal, but we're also a funded project, and we're continuing to do development. And I think there's some serious uh, project management questions that we need to address so that we can make our contribution, but at the same time not have the uh, confusion of, of version management that you're alluding to, Mike. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to be a moving target. At the same time, we have... The, you know, an architecture that allows uh, others to easily incorporate new modules. I'd say the same for XMDR. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, uh, to some extent, I think uh, we can probably address some of that by uh, um, snapshotting versions that we import, and um, you know, some of it will probably be basically just experimentation, essentially, on the. Uh, um, on the integration site and um, fairly careful synchronization of updates. This is John Graviel. I'm, I'm somewhere along the line, I think a decision got taken and maybe it's obvious to everyone that it's the right one, but it, it isn't clear to me that anyone has said, although it, maybe you have, anyone has, has actually taken a look at the different products that are in hand, if you like, where source code exists and is operational, and has said, how do these work together, and is there an obvious implementation path that takes 80% of each of these products and uh, lets them interoperate, and maybe we don't even have to have a separate implementation home here in OOR. Maybe uh, we just make it a negotiation among those products, and we than just are an operational host. Uh, what am I missing where it was obvious that we should start an entirely new development repository and process and put everything into that process? Sorry for the awkward question at this time. Who is, who is speaking? John Graviel. I, I think it's a very good question. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I guess up to now, I mean, uh, all the implementations, I mean, the BioPortal, XMDR, uh, even uh, demo, ontology, library, and, and so on, were specifically built to address something else other than, I mean, maybe BioPortal came close, but, but, but it addressed some specific need that is not sort of an open ontology repository per se. Uh, so, so maybe I mean this, this is a good chance where we could sit down and 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 do one. I I don't think anyone has your answer, uh, and I I would suggest we just 
sort of defining a deliverable and putting it together and, and learning what went wrong or what, what needs to be done in that process by I mean, trying to put that prototype together. I think it's also, this is Rex Brooks, uh, I think it's also a matter of convenience for those people that are not part of this community to have a place where they can go and get their feet wet without having to, you know, be referred to uh, hither and yon and end up in, you know, an academic environment on one hand, a medical environment on another, and uh, so forth and so on, where, you know, they're, where they're, most of what we're pulling together are domain-specific ontology repositories. Well, I don't think there's anything domain-specific in what any one of us is doing. Yeah, although there is, it, I take the point, I think it's an excellent point, that, that you, you won't uh, encourage anyone to adopt um, ontologies if it's a 12-step process involving four different uh, <laughs> sources of, of source code. But um, if, if I had to um, uh, go forward with a, with a solution that I hoped to be a best practice solution, and in a way I think uh, at MMI we do have to do that, the, the place that I would hope to go at this stage is to say, of these existing technologies, uh, how many of the boxes are checked of, of functionality, and is there a, a uh, starting place that, that is uh, more readily integrable than, than assuming that we, in fact, have to bring in all of the code ourselves. Um, and it just seems like sort of a due diligence kind of thing. Um, but I don't, it may just take so much time or, or not be feasible for some reason that I don't understand. But, but presumably different users will have a different list of boxes to check. Yeah. Also true as we decide which things, which pieces of code we want that need to come together, right? Right. So maybe back to the panel. I mean, since uh, uh, the, the, the panel actually was selected because they represent certain major pieces that could go into the picture fairly quickly, I, I guess maybe with the exception of, of uh, the common logic people, uh, which which still has considered that, that, I mean, there aren't really that many tools around. So sh shall we maybe offline start sort of bringing some of the code into this commons area uh, and, and start to maybe at the next ORP meeting uh, cast out the a date and, and they, they sort of scope out the deliverable and start working on, on maybe a prototype and learn from there. Would that be a good step forward? I guess I'd say yeah. there's nothing wrong with that standing on its own, but if I were told to start working on a prototype, 
I think the first thing I would do, because it comes closest to hitting all the OR routes, download the uh, uh, source, <laughs> if I can, or see if I can get access to the source for BioPortal, and, and see how that aligns, for example, with all the interfaces in, uh, I think it's Mike Dean's model, right? And, it, you know, are these overlap? And maybe, Mike, you know the answer to this, or, or Mark, you know the answer to this, but if those overlap 90%, then I have a pretty good idea that going forward with the BioPortal can be constructive. If they clash a lot, then I want to know why that is and whether, you know, uh, how to resolve that apparent discrepancy. Yeah, I, I so think that that's is publicly available. Uh, I think the other thing I, I would add to the conversation is right now, uh, both BioPortal and XMDR are ongoing projects that have funding and that are obviously in a situation where they're go not going to stop because the funding's uh, ongoing. And it would, there are a couple issues applied there, one of which is that the OOR initiative uh, can shape what BioPortal and XMDR do, but of course, we have our responsibilities to our, 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 our funding agencies. Uh, but the other issue is that because these are actually funded projects with, with ongoing development, it would make the most sense to see what we can do to, to leverage them rather than to start a, a third initiative. That sounds good to me. Yeah, I, I like uh, what Mark is saying. Um, uh, uh, a good deal of what BioPortal has is you know, bio medical information. I don't see anything in BioPortal that constrains it, it to only registering those ontologies. Uh, although I, I think that maybe XMDR has uh, a broader uh, scope of things that we're interested in, in registering. We're, we're rather agnostic about what is an ontology and, and more concerned about what, what do we want to register. Um, and I, I think a, a good deal could be uh, done by, say, lining up XMDR and BioPortal and trying to make uh, them work together. Uh, and that's closer to um, uh, my funding uh, mandate uh, than starting over on a, on a new project. Yeah, at Mayo, we've been, uh, uh, through some other funding mechanisms, aligning Semantic Media Wiki with a, a similar sort of back end. And, in fact, our, uh, well, things go well, um, hopefully we'll be focusing on, on trying to get a what I'll call a live RDF triple store behind it, which should align very well with, with um, both the XMDR and BioPortal work as well. That would be great. That, that would help. Yeah, this is Harold Solbrick. Uh, I'm, uh, there's others online here, uh, Go Chin Chang and others that are involved in this effort as well. I think another thing that's worth considering is um, in some domain-specific ontologies, the stuff at the top of that ontology will be reusable across other domains, um, and maybe we should start looking to pull together those high-level things um, at an earlier point. Well, the, some very obvious starting points that we always hit are just RDF, RDF, SL, uh, Dublin Core, friend of a friend, SCOS, and uh, I mean, just getting those in is is a good start, and they're all already interdependent. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, folks, uh, I, I know um, on the queue Mike Bennett uh, has already talked, but uh, Bill uh, Anderson, um, did you want to make your comment now? May have dropped. Can, can uh, uh, Mike just take a second and talk about uh, his uh, interface uh, in the context of the earlier comments, if, if that's something that makes sense to him or is if he's already done it? Uh, well, let's see. I, um, yeah, I, I could take a moment. I mean, we've had, I've had some discussions with the BioPortal stuff, uh, with the BioPortal folks, um, kind of comparing uh, goals. Um, I haven't really looked at the code yet in terms of a direct mapping. Uh, I think there's certainly a lot of uh, um, uh, commonality there. Um, you know, some of the question is um, uh, how much we want to do factoring so we can accommodate some of the other um, language features, uh, for example, um, uh, or other aspects that um, that aren't addressed by by BioPortal. Um, and um, you know how easy it is to you know it, it, I think it's a, it, it's a certainly an open question whether um, you know it would ma it may very well make more sense to try to incorporate the features that we want into OR into uh, uh, one of the existing architectures rather than trying to uh, uh, build an encapsulating one uh, or um, um, certainly build something from scratch and. Uh, you know, having a project that has uh, uh, has funding and developers, and uh, um, you know, is is aligned with our efforts. I think offers a lot of value and um, uh, and benefits to us. So I don't know if that really completely answers your question, but it's uh, um, that that's certainly some of my current thoughts there. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Okay, folks. Um, Perhaps we're at an end uh, for this session. Uh, let's continue the uh, discussion, though, in the OOR forum. Any final remarks? I, I noticed I went to look at the forum, and they said the developers forum isn't live yet. Is that correct? We, it's just this. Oh, uh, the developers forum on Web Central, you mean, or? Uh... Yeah, well, uh, yeah, Sim3.net, there was OOR Forum and OOR Dev, and Dev isn't live yet, right? Right. Uh, the, the OOR Dev has not started yet as a, as a mailing okay. list. But, 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 but feel free to, to start subscribing to it. I mean, that's, that's the platform where, where development issues will be churned out. Okay, thanks.